Blog Talk Radio. I guess it's true what they say about you people. Can't trust a fucking word comes out of your mouth. What's the matter, John Rue? I hurt your feelings. As a matter of fact, you did. I know I'm the only black son bitch you ever conversed with, so I'm going to cut you some slack. But you got no idea what it's like being a black man facing down America. The only time black folks are safe is when white folks is disarmed. And this letter had the desired effect of disarming white folks. Call it what you want. I call it a dirty fucking trick. You want to know why I lie about something like that, white man? To another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Good evening, folks. It's the Midweek Review Edition, folks. September 14th, 2016. Wow. Time is moving along and we're still two weeks, two weeks away from Netflix's Luke Cage. You know I'm going to mention that. 
And I think, what, another month and a half, two months before we get to Doctor Strange, all that good blurty stuff. Listen, the call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. My partner in white-collar crime is out on assignment again. But you know him. He will be returning definitely for Saturday's show with the uncanny Daryl B. And, of course, our left coast correspondent, Claire Lene. So I'm for Dolo, as they say, for Delph. Um, folks, I have a blazing new cut by a legendary Minneapolis musician. We've had him on the show before, and I, I uh, conferred with him Right after I heard the song, I was so enamored with the song, and the song is so prescient that he's going to make a return appearance real soon. He is Mrs. Mrs. Anderson's son, Andre Simone. You know he's the late Prince Rogers' play cousin and all that stuff, all that jazz. So um, he assured me that he's going to come back, but I, I can't not let this cut go. I may have to play this in its entirety because it's so blazing. Once again, the great Andre Simone, black man in America. Wow. It's going down. Let's groove. Let me see you 
Saturday, don't you worry. Wow, that song is so prescient, so on time. Um, folks, I'm going to be blubbering and blustering, not necessarily for the entirety of the program, but 
Uh, it's just a lot of information forthcoming, coming in. Uh, it's just a lot to unpack. Um, I see that one of our stalwart supporters, definitely an honorary member of the Afro Nerd team, let me bring him in. Um, the Mighty Q Storm, folks, speaking, I, actually, I, I'm curious to, to see what he thinks about that cut that I just played. Um, I, again, folks, I'm going to be blubbering a little bit because there's just a lot to get into. As, as usual, when, when I have a Wednesday show, sometimes, and it, without fail, without fail, I will have some difficulty getting topics because I really want the show to be fruitful. Then the infamous 24-hour countdown comes, comes down, and then that remaining tidbit of topics just keeps pouring on in. So without fail, it continues, continues to happen. So uh, we've got to talk about Little Wayne, regretfully. I really didn't want to go there. Um, in a Twitter exchange between yours truly, Q-Storm, uh, Left Coast, West Coast, Aunt Pooh, if he calls in, and another gentleman by the name of Hannibal, uh, they wanted to mix it up, I think, to Captain Kirk's chagrin <laughs> about uh, what about black-on-black crime versus the police misconduct cases. So uh, we'll see how that works out. We'll definitely unpack it and get into it. Let me bring in Mr. Q-Storm again. Check out Michael Dean's Michael Dean and them, D-E-M, Michael Dean and them, which is uh, definitely Q-Storm's Q-Storm's crew, Podcast Juice, podcastjuice.net, the infamous Prince podcast. So anyway, let me bring him in. Mr. Storm. Yes, sir. What's up, man? Well, I'm playing Mr. Mom again. I, I had everything in line to uh, to be a part of this debate, and uh, the wife is working late. So uh, I want to be kind of struggling here, but I'll, we'll see what we can do. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, I don't know about the other members of, of this uh, colloquium. Uh, have you heard anything from Aunt Pooh? I don't Pooh? even think he knew he was invited. Yeah, I, well, I threw it out there to him. Um, well, first of all, did you hear that cut that I just played by Mr. Simone? I, I'm sorry. I di well, you know, I didn't. Are you talking about Black Man in America? Yeah. I, I didn't hear you, you playing it, but I have heard the cut, yes. That's a pretty rough cut, man. I was uh, <laughs> I was like, man, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's classic funk, but it's updated. You know, it's, it's timely. It's not like uh, uh, 1987. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I spoke to uh, Andre right after I heard it, and, um, you know, you had him on your show, of course, so He's more than willing to come through, so we have to get get him on. I, I was reluctant to have him on in the sense of just discussing Prince because, uh, you know, it's kind of fresh to me, and I, I don't want that necessarily to be the case all the time. But I mean, he, he is um, one of the architects of the Minneapolis Sound, and um, you got to hold on to these cats while you can because this is history, and um, you leave it up to the millennials, and the Generation Z, they could give two craps, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, I'm going to keep you on for a moment, mix it up a little bit. 
Sure. Um, why not? For the listening audience, of course, the call-in number remains the same, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. You know, um, just kind of riffing a little bit, I, I had a conversation with uh, Captain Kirk's predecessor, Mr. Starks, and uh, uh, he, like you, family man, uh, children, commitments, school, uh, karate classes, and so forth with his children, um, difficult for him to come through, but he definitely was eager um, to discuss a couple of things. One of them was there's, there's a number of things going on, Q, um, that that make me think that they're trying really hard, or there are forces out here trying really hard to bring us back to around 1946. Every day there are things that are going on. Uh, maybe anecdotally, maybe anecdotally, but when you start to actually tally what's going down, these macroaggressions, I would say now, I don't, I don't know if I would net classify them as microaggressions, people are starting to feel more comfortable in showing their rectums. <laughs> and I say that figuratively, but in this day and age it might be literal. Um. I'm hearing. I, I think, I think it might be a a a joke, sort of. But there was a petition going around wanting Colin Colin Kaepernick to cut his afro. There's a petition going around for that. I think it might be half jest, but I don't necessarily find that funny. Again, considering the times that we, we are in. Uh, there are other folks that are following his his lead with with taking a knee when the national anthem is going on, and uh, some of the high school athletes are catching it. I think there's a young man in Ohio; he caught it. His teammates called him the 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 N word, and uh, they made reference to lynching because he is taking this stance not that dissimilar from Mr. Kaepernick. So, uh, and then you hear, and I'm going to play the clip in a moment, you hear the the mumblings, and I have to put it that way, the mumblings of Lil Wayne with Skip Bayless stating that he's not aware of racism. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, maybe he personally has had a a, a better go go at it. Um, still, I still feel that this is a a minstrel, and why are you asking him? Uh, Shannon Sharp, I think on the same program, he spoke rather eloquently about being black in the in this country. And and listen, I don't always agree with everything, but you know, uh, I I I give some credence to what people say, and he he, he was eloquent about what he what he felt was going on and then the following week you get the minstrel saying I don't know anything about about racism so uh, we're being played and in the conversation I had with Mr. Starks we came to the conclusion that I don't know how today's recording artists are going to get away with not addressing, I mean, I guess they're doing it, 
but not addressing some of what's going on, whatever angle you want to take. But they need to start to address it in their music uh, to complement what Mr. Kaepernick is doing. Um, We spoke about the Terror Dome and Brothers Gonna Work It Out and Fight the Power and Black Cop, Black Cop and Love's Going to Get You. I'm just going off the top of the dome of some of those early 90s. You know, 911 is a joke. All those early 90s hits at the time that you had uh, the Bed-Stuy, you had the Howard Beach killing, um, and you had the Rodney King incident. The music represented as what um, our local, being that we, we, we broadcast out of Long Island slash New York, Chuck D said that hip-hop represented C- the CNN for the urban youth, or I'm paraphrasing, CNN for black folk, essentially. And you're going to be hard-pressed to get that kind of, that kind of vibe from Designer or Lil Wayne or Young Thug in between fittings for dresses and that kind of thing. Um, something has to be, has to give, and it's, it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment at this time. So I'm, I'm having a difficult time trying to understand how Rihanna and that whole crew are just going to do this, this pablum music when you go back 20, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, the music, even though there was pablum music back then, there was a hell of a lot of other music that would come up to the plate to deal with what was going on in the stratosphere. And I do not see any indication of that. And to have minstrel, minstrel speech and minstrel music to go on as your background music, and you heard me say this ad nauseum, Q, uh, to have that as the background music if there were to be any kind of play with Black Lives Matter, which is just another thing that you and I discussed uh, in our in our uh, Twitter exchange with the other gentlemen, is that you that these folks who are backing BLM, whether it's financially or or um, socially or spiritually, they don't even have the right background music for this to work. They don't even have the right background music. The music from the from the from the sixties. From the 70s, hell, even the 80s and early 90s, still acted as a beacon or, or as a foundation for the movement. What's that? What 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 movement are these people talking about? If you have to deal with, I got broads in Atlanta, and I quote from Designer. I mean, discussions of coke being moved. What's the young man that just recently got a, a record contract that uh, Little Poopy, Little Poopy, um, he came into the, into, the, into the music industry with a song called, I believe, I'm a Coke Boy. I mean, this is, this is unconscionable. Everything's out of whack. And we're hearing now that Donald Trump is closing the gap on Hillary Clinton. So well, I said a lot, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the mic to you 
Mr. Storm, um, what are your thoughts as I'm just kind of musing? Well, I just wanted to say <clears throat> there was a report that came out. I saw on USA Today and CBS this morning, they reported on it that I think my uh, my newly acquired state of Pennsylvania, my, my where I live now, which is the battleground state, I, there's a report that uh, college-educated whites, young whites, in uh, Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is not that far from me, they are leaning away from Trump, and they think that that's going to spread. And so the, what made that news was that they feel like that makes Pennsylvania out of play for Trump. So that means, you know, he needs Pennsylvania to get into the White House. So that's for me, that's good news. I'm not going to speak for anyone else. But, you know, I don't know how eloquent I'm going to, to be able to state this, but I just feel that, <clears throat> speaking of Trump, you have a candidate. Well, first of all, we're, we're, on, the, we're on the heels of uh, Obama getting ready to leave office. He's been in office for eight years, and I think there's been some underlying resentment towards that. So you now have a candidate who's running for office who ha who's giving the, that resentment a voice. And people are now feeling comfortable about speaking up about that. And, you know, it's all good. Race relations are always good when we as people of color are not, quote, unquote, rocking the boat. You know what I mean? But when we want to protest, which is our right, and I'm talking about law-abiding protest, that's or, or when we want to stand up for ourselves, in a law-abiding fashion, that's when you see all the crazies and all the nut jobs and all of – you see what really America is all about. And I, I'm, I am far from a militant brother, but I have eyes, I have ears. So when we start to even discuss or we act out on what, what still is underlying in this society, people can't handle it. People just can't handle it, and it's very disturbing. I mean, whether, even if Trump loses the White House, America has kind of shown its true colors. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty evident. I mean, I, I always felt – I might have mentioned this, but I, I have to speak more succinctly about it. I, I always felt that – well, let me back it up a little bit. We, we failed to realize that – uh, as successful as Barack Obama, President, pardon me, President Barack Obama has been, that with these elections, you're still talking about millions of people, where it's almost half. You know, I mean, yeah, we can talk about millions of people that you know, a few million over in his favor. But when you really go through the through, through the raw numbers, millions of people did not vote for him. Those folks still represent a large amount of the voting public. Uh, and when you factor that in, that did not vote for him, and you factor in the, the, um, the amount of propaganda that's out there, uh, whether it's Fox and this alt-right deal that I think may end up having a place, which is what I think you're referencing to, that if, if Trump doesn't win, that he is still going to be able to configure some kind of way to have a media outlet. You have Roger Ailes on his team and the gentleman from Breitbart. That's a good indicator 
and this this Milo Giannopoulos character, which is all a hustle for. I mean, many of these people are just hustling people. I mean, I, I just happened to glance at a YouTube clip of Milo's because he has his own YouTube channel, and he has a tour bus, a tricked out tour bus, as if it was Yo MTV Cribs, and he was acting like it was Yo MTV Cribs, and I think it's called. Uh, I, I hate to use this expletive, but it's, I think the faggot tour or something, something with the F-bomb emblazoned on the tour bus. I mean, hey, I guess, you know, all's fair in, 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 in I would say love and war, but it, it's all fair. I mean, we see NWA went that route with emblazoning and uh, commodifying the N-word, so maybe this is some kind of version of that for the gay community. But he, he has it proudly on on this, this uh Paper paper wrapped bus, real swanky, but the way he was talking, it was like, okay, this is just a hustle. Just like Ann Coulter is hustling people, and Trump is hustling people, and it's it's very disturbing that he's playing on the these underpinning feelings, referencing the amount of people that did not vote for. Barack Obama, President Obama, did not vote for him. And and I guess the crux of my argument is really there, there's a lot of people that that hate people of color. That this this belief that this this falsehood that everything is okay or uh that um it, it there's a some some degree of of some degree of a kind of calmness that you that folks have a certain real feelings that they're not they were not comfortable in letting the world know as long as it's in house and in the house no one will ever know there was there was a discomfort in letting those true feelings come out donald trump has tapped into that and because of his alpha male thing going on um and these rallies these people feel more and more uh, comfortable and cutting loose and just saying, hey, I don't like you. I can call you the N-word. I can do whatever I want to do. And and the fact that there's a, uh, an alt-right movement, these, these movements have always been around. But now it's kind of sort of being corporatized, which we didn't necessarily see before, at least not this, at least not this bluntly. So I, I've always felt, and it, folks may say, well, why are you conservative? And that's getting to be a very difficult thing, I will confess. But my, my conservatism has a lot to do with it, A, being black conservatism, B, being in the tradition of, of Frederick Douglass, of, of, hey, even someone like, um, I would, well, who was I thinking of? Booker T. Washington, um, Dr. King. I always felt that I would liken it to what we were before the Southern strategy was employed. I thought that we were able to do things when we had no choice. When when the white man, and I'm saying that, putting that in quotes, as a found, as a as a institution, the white man, when the white man was literally pulling you off of trolley cars, pulling you out of your homes, castrating you in the 20th century, the ni- the 19th century given. In the 20th century, Ida B. Wells and, uh, and all of that, when they were pulling you off of, of with you know, no 
sense of freedom at all. In spite of that very visceral way of being violent with black people, black folks still managed to conduct business with each other. We were living in a segregated, under segregated conditions, but be, however, that, however you feel about that, it still allowed for black folks to have to deal with, with each other. In the, in the worst of times. So now we don't know how to do that, allegedly. So that's where my conservatism comes in. That I, don't, I don't trust people to necessarily look out for your interests. You have to look out for yourself. If Donald Trump becomes president, you're, you're not going to have a choice. And it's, very, it's very blatant and blunt at, the, at this time. You're going to have to figure out how to do this on your own. And, and in our conversation on Twitter, Q, um, when we were talking about dealing with the urban terrorism, because for whatever reason you can't say black on black crime, and it's a figment of our imaginations, we see uh, a young lady in Brownsville, Brooklyn. She was stabbed repeatedly while um, pushing a stroller with her, I think, nine-month-year-old child, uh, other young women had some kind of verbal altercation, and it got to so bad that they had to stab her up in Brownsville uh, in front of her ex-boyfriend's home or what have you. That's just one of many cases. There's cases of black folks being killed in cars, uh, the, the um, older gentleman in Chicago. There's video footage of him. He, he is just watering his lawn. You know about this, Q? Did you hear about this? I'm sorry, Alfred. I did not. Uh, I'm a little. T- I'm sorry, man. I'm a little tired. Up. Go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. Well, there was a there was a uh, 71 year old gentleman, homeowner, watering his lawn, just watering oh, yeah. his lawn. I did hear the story. I heard the story. Yes. Well, there's video footage of. It. I mean, if you simply YouTube it or Google, uh, Chicago man 71 watering lawn, his neighbor had video surveillance equipment and you see that he is watering his lawn by the curb minding his own business not saying a word um something that our parents would be doing not a big deal and you see two men of color on bikes and i'm saying men they didn't appear to be 15 they might have been 25 30 35 they pass him like you know. No one who would think about this. It's just two men on a bike. They're just you know riding around. They they pass him, and then moments later they return, unprovoked, and they accost him. They they it appears to be some kind of daylight robbery. I don't know what kind of money they expect a man to have while he's watering his lawn in his shorts. But the elder man gives a little bit of a struggle. I mean, it seems like kind of a tug-of-war thing going on, and they're tugging, they're tugging and then he, the, the, the older man falls back on the ground, and then the, the, the ne'er-do-well blasts him in the abdomen, I think twice, with a gun. Uh, I don't know if the older gentleman has expired. I think he, he may be in critical condition, or he might be on the mend. But to, to see that, and to see how it, it, it just 
It might as well be raining. You know, you have no control over, over the rain or, or weather. It, it came off like that. I mean, who could who could predict that? How do you? I spoke to the Oracle about it, and he was <laughs> he was like, well, you know, the Oracle believes that he has uh, a certain level of of um, <laughs> a certain level of, of of discernment. But if you look at the video, and we cannot discuss this, Q. Uh, and I'm yeah, going to groove, and we're going to oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm I'm agreeing with you 100. percent Yeah, you're not allowed to discuss it. I'm hearing more and more folks are, are moving it forward by you know hashtagging what about black on black crime and you know as if that's not a legitimate question. Like what? I don't care what people say. I mean, I don't really care about the colony because you know, as as what was seen on Twitter, when you actually confront these folks with their stupid ideas. And I don't use, use, I call people stupid, but their ideas are stupid. I mean, you, you just can't bypass that. We're, we're so sensitive about, about this. And, and always having to couch it with a white barometer. What is that? Yeah. Why can't it, why can't it, be, dis- <laughs> why can't it be discussed? I mean, you, you, you see what I mean? This is what I mean by deconstruction. I, I, I know you understand where I'm coming from. And I, 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 had a, I had battled with many folk to get what I'm saying. But I think the reason, the reasoning and the logic stands. You can't call yourself Black Lives Matter. You can't call yourself. The great Dave Chappelle said, this is so funny. I did not necessarily expect him to come out this way. I didn't hear the entire routine. But some of these, some of these comedians, the ones that are a little, a little bit earthier, whether it is uh, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle, those guys, they have a certain truth, a certain truth standard. They're not Kevin Hart. So when, when we have Dave Chappelle saying, well, that's a lousy slogan. I say, God damn it, he is right. I mean, it's a, it's a lousy slogan. Lousy. Black Lives Matter. It, it, it gives the it, it gives it opens the door for well, damn. Black Black Lives Matter means everybody, all hands on deck. I mean, that's literally what it means. Well, you, you know, Black Lives Matter only this way, only uh, Black Lives Matter only based on what I think. No, that's not how it works. Black Lives Matter is too open ended. Go ahead, Q. I was just going to say, you know, uh, even putting aside Dave Chappelle, I mean, Spike Lee made a whole movie that was based on what's going on in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, that didn't get any traction, apparently. He, uh, he got shouted down, as far as I know. I didn't see any. I, 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 I don't understand how, you know, you have people saying, uh, justifying that we can't talk about black on black crime and that black on black crime does not exist. And they say, well, what about white on white crime? Well, yeah, well, we can talk about that too. But the problem is, this is my philosophy. White people can absorb that stuff. I'm not saying white people should be killed or anything like that. But I'm saying we we don't have the we don't have the the infrastructure that the white man has that can absorb that stuff. So when you have a black when you have when you see 
black people dying at the percentages that they that they are in our country that 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 hurts us far more than what you see with white people yeah you know i'm going to go to this quick groove and i want to i'm going to unpack this a little bit i see we have a couple of calls on hold as well uh folks if you'd like to join in with our discourse i have uh our stalwart supporter of course uh, Q Storm from podcastjuice.net. Definitely check them out. I don't mean to be so uptight, but my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be, with Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Uh, just press 1, and that way we know that uh, you're more than welcome to join in with your opinions or what have your questions. Um, yeah, but uh, before, i got to just mention this one thing even before we get to this song, and we'll move along. Um, like you said, these are questions that have to, be, that have to be answered. You could see that in the white world, that their problems rather, again, bluntly, are explained away, they are dealt with differently. Um, there's, whites have a drug problem, a rather serious one. Overdose problem, meth, meth is a major issue in lower-tier white communities. And already we're seeing congressional initiatives to deal with it as what? A health problem. Now, for our black behinds, it's a criminal problem. But we, 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 this is blunt. I don't have to, like, mention the obvious. I mean, this, this is just how the system works. I mean, that's just one example I can think of off the top of my head that their problems are handled. Are handled. And, again, what you just spoke about, and for some reason this is, this is a game that many of these folks play. They will use these figures that these figures of, well, black-on-black uh, black black death or black-on-black black murder rate or uh, the likelihood of, of who your, your murderer will, will, will be is in the 90 percentile range for blacks, and it's around 83% for whites. So then they'll use that figure and tell you, well, black people, whites are killing each other at about the same rate or a little bit less, but the same ballpark as whites. And that's not really accurate. And I don't know why you're, you're not allowed. They, won't, they, know, they know what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a shame thing. Because, yes, the likelihood of your neighbor killing you is very, very evident. But when you factor in to your population numbers, like how your percentage, your percentage in comparison to everybody else. There's no comparison. If you factor in that blacks represent, I don't know, maybe 15% of the population, yeah, how about it was I think 12%. something like that. Well, let's, let's say between 12 and 15%. If that's the case, and let's say, and I think these numbers may be in, this, in that ballpark, let's say uh, annually there are 5,000 blacks that are killed per year, something like that. If uh, That same number may be commensurate with white folks, but you can't compare uh, 
blacks representing 13% and whites representing, I don't know, 60%. We, we never, you're never allowed to fully flesh out what that means. You can't have less. You can't have you can't have less black people killing in the same amount. I mean, same numerical amount as white people. You know, I mean, that's that's the crazy. Listen, if the numbers were the were, were truly the same, I mean, truly commensurate, like everybody else's numbers, other ethnic groups, their numbers somewhat fallen uh, are skewed based on how many they, they how much they how much they represent. In respect to everybody else, if Asians are I don't know eight percent or something like that, or five percent, their murder rate is, is is within a certain certain line. Uh, Latinos will be under us, but even they are not killing each other at the same rate. And they actually they they are a little bit more. They 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 have surpassed us as far as being the the um, the largest mi- minority. So let's say we're thirteen percent. Um, Latinos are fourteen fifteen percent. They're killing each other. I think maybe thirty at thirty percent, something like that. I mean, it's it's, it's not the same. It's it is. Well, listen, we're way. I'm sorry, Q. Q. What? No, I was just going to say, to your point. Um, I just, you know, in preparing for tonight's possible debate, uh, I pulled up an article, Intelligent Takeout. I forget the name of the website. But they they were saying back in 2011 that 70 in Chicago that what was it like 75 percent of the murders were on people of color and 71 yeah. percent of the of the people committing the murders were people of color. So if you look at those numbers, 75 percent. Let's say we're 12 to 15 percent of the population, but 75 percent. We're talking about just Chicago. 75% murder rate of 12% of the population. What is that? I mean, that's staggering to me. There's no perspective. There's no, there's no proportion when you, when you try to say, well, whites kill each other at the same rate as what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it's completely – I mean, we've got to get these numbers cut down. I mean, you can't – we can't continuously, like, tolerate – because it seems to be, to some degree, I mean, it's based on, it's based on agenda. And and some degree of cherry picking. Is ba- is it's selective, it's selective outrage. I mean, I I don't see how we can just be passive, on an older man minding his own business, and I mean, we're hearing stories of twelve year olds, twelve year olds who are you know have cell phones and and grown men robbing them. At knife point and threatening their lives. I mean, there's things that are going on. Uh, elderly, elderly women. These are more local stories, but elderly women who are wheelchair bound, and even women also. Another woman robbed this woman in broad daylight. Just you know, snatched her, snatched this woman's money. I mean, we've seen people robbing and knocking down. I mean, we've seen that in Trump rallies also, but that's another, that's another thing. <laughs> that's white lower tier. But uh, we're seeing beyond the pale violence that affects really the quote-unquote the good black people. 
I'm going to go there. The good black people, the black people that you actually need in society. This young woman who, who attended my alma mater uh, my, when I went to St. John's for graduate school, uh, this young lady of Caribbean descent, uh, not hard on the eyes. I'm, you know, I'm going to mention that. She's very attractive, 22 years of age, um, closing in on a degree in accounting, someone that you need that's going to contribute to society. She went to the, the Juve celebration, the uh, West Indian Day Parade in Brooklyn, Crown Heights. Uh, even the Oracle asked me, seeing that she is of higher education, well, you know, why would she do that? And when you get into the story, she really wasn't inclined to go. It was, it was, very, it was done very, very much kind of as a, as a goof. And, you know, 24 hours, you are erased. That just that gnaws at my head. That something could, that could have gone another way. It was just a decision, like, oh, well, why not? But she had no intention to go to this thing, and she gets shot in her head. And the and the young man before her, an attorney, Harvard trained, or at least I know he's at least Ivy League trained, working for the Cuomo administration, our governor Cuomo. Um, he's out of here too. I believe mean, forty three, forty four years of age. I mean, these are black folks doing it that we need that have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on around them. They were just there. Well, and they're collateral Hebert. damage collateral damage. And if 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 as if, if long as there was no white hand pulling the trigger and with the uniform on, we could care less. Well, Deaver, real quick, I know you want to go to a musical break. I just want to say <clears throat> I'm going to be a little careful judging good versus black, uh, good versus bad people of color or black people. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there with it because that that might distort the message a little bit. But what I wanted to say before we take a break is that the thing that really disappoints me or disturbs me is that when I when I bring these things up, and I'm sure when you bring these things up, I I don't want to be compared to people who are trying to diminish. Uh, white racial injustice, particularly that which is which is fomented by policemen. That is not the reason. I'm, I know that's why a certain segment brings that up because they want to downplay the racial injustice that's happening. I'm bringing it up because I want to see black people succeed. I, I'm bringing it up because I don't understand how we can justify the the, the, the numbers we're seeing. When we have so many other things that we need to be fighting against, we can't be fighting each other. That's the reason I bring it up. You hear, you hear black folks talking about, oh, we, have, we still have skin, uh, skin color issues. We still have hair issues in our community. Okay, those are, those are issues I would like to address too, but I also want to address this issue of us killing each other at record rates. And I'm not doing it to say that we should not address uh, white injustice against people of color either. I, I, we can, as you say, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Let's start doing it. On that note, um, I'm going to go to this groove. When we get back, I want to actually reference uh, a, a letter to a letter to a, a slave master from a former slave. It's pretty interesting. Um, and also, I'm going to reference. I think I mentioned this on Twitter to you as well. Is a scene, one of my favorite scenes from the Malcolm X Spike Lee film from '92. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there as to what you're talking about, what what we all want that we can't have if we continue to shoot elderly men in their abdomen. 
We're not going to be able to have what we saw in that film. All right, anyway, quick groove. We'll be right back. Uh, this is something new. If I can find it, I just saw. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Mr. Corey King, brand new. Ibaraki. We'll be right back. Afropunk, hold on. I don't mean to be so uptight, but my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. If it's meant to be. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. All right, folks, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think our boards, as you, per usual, you have an excellent show. And then the powers that be. Q, are you there? I am here. Yeah, you don't hear the music, right? I, don't, I do not hear the music, no. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, well, it's just more, we'll try. That's more time to chop it up. That's all it is. Yeah, of, of course. No big deal. We're professionals, so we, we'll power forward. Uh, again, I did want to play this young man's music, Corey King. I'll get to it. Uh, these things happen. Um, lousy blog talk. Anyway, <laughs> um, I wanted to um, talk about a scene that was on, uh, that was in, pardon me, the 1992 film X, the biography of Malcolm X starring Denzel Washington, and I believe um, Spike Lee, of course, he's always... Uh, I guess he's the black Alfred Hitchcock. He's got to be in his films. And, um, well, he's and the black Stan Lee. Lee. <laughs> yeah. He's the black yeah, Stan yeah, Lee. Yeah, he's another person like that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, there is a, a scene where, uh, actually, I think it's a police malfeasance scene, actually. Uh, that shows you how funny this, this works. There's a scene where, uh, uh, I believe, I don't know if it was. I think it was this person, if I remember correctly, was the person that was injured by police, was that person a, a, a member of the NOI? It was either a member of the NOI or it was just another uh, black, you know, a black um, person from Harlem, a black Harlemite. And I word got he, around that this person... He was a ahead. protester. He was, he was with, uh, I don't think he was uh, NOI, but he was with uh, Malcolm's camp protesting. Yeah, so he was... He was Injured, hurt, in the hospital. They, I guess, they really were not sure as to his condition, and it just, it just went down that he was brutalized. So he goes to the police precinct with the NOI in full attendance, looking quite threatening. 
uh, at least that's their perception, to the police. And um, ultimately, they, they had to determine if this young, if this man was going to survive, or just what you know what what was going on. And in the film, the doctor comes out and says, "Okay, you know, he's going to survive. Um, he'll thrive, and what have you." And the police say, "Okay, break it up, break it up." And there's a pause by Malcolm, as played by Denzel Washington, a pause where he just stares at him, stares at the police officer, and then. He determines when to move, and he doesn't say anything. He just moves his 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 hand, his finger, moves it to like the right, points to the right, and then, as if they were as if it was they were militarized, without a sound, on his one gesture, the entire NOI moves, and then they they proceed, and it, it was crazy, and the police were shook. I believe one of them had said famously, I think that was a true story, um, one man should not have that much power. I'm paraphrasing. But they were frightened of that. And I'm saying from someone who is being called a sellout, who calls himself an Afro nerd, who, lit, who, 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 who goes to Afropunk and all this stuff, that the guy that's supposed to not be the black person, in quotes, that that is the black person I admire, and that's the type of thing I would want to see from black people. But I don't. I believe, in my opinion, we can't get there unless you get these other black folks in line. Right now, we're 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 running. It's as if you have a few pistons that aren't working in your engine, and the engine is running in a lousy way, or a few cylinders are shot, and you can't. And the car is not unable to move. And I feel that's very much analogous to what's happening in the black community, that this 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 need to ignore or obfuscate the the pathologies that are detrimental to us is shooting yourself in the foot or cutting your nose to spite your face. This that's preventing us from getting from really getting our Malcolm X on effectively. So I, I always like that scene. And I think that's 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 my issue. Anyway, um, I, I hope we can I hope we can uh, play this clip. Anyway, uh, in speaking to Captain Kirk's predecessor, again, Mr. Starks, um, we, we were talking about our, our our own personal place in all of this, and we, we've been saying this for many years that we feel. And this is my own my own admission. We feel like we're literally stuck between two factions. We're stuck between the the, the racist white people and these lower tier black folks. That that's what our place. That we we can't, you know, if you critique the racism, you can flip the argument and say that well, these black folks aren't really treating us any better. If the white racist cop or potentially racist cop is not going to give you that benefit of the doubt that many black black folks insist on saying repeatedly, as if as if they're in, they are in shock that a white man is, is not going to give you a break. I mean that's pretty much a given. A white man in power, a police person, I'm not taking that chance that he's going to treat me like someone that looks like him. You must always be on guard. Just because I'm, I'm not taking that chance. 
my, but mind you, I could be like the gentleman from last year, just chilling in front of the Juve celebration, minding my own business, and then Raekwon, half a block away, has a personal beef, shoots indiscriminately, and then I got a bullet in my brain. So to me, I, I have a hard time understanding how these, these, these people that you and I have had these, these online battles with, how come they can't seem to see that, that either way I'm erased, that both are kind of on an equal playing field. And a matter of fact, I had a discussion with um, Star of Star and Buck Wild, and I, I, I didn't want to... You know, when you when you're on somebody else's show, you can't take over the show. But he asked me once. Um, he, he tried to actually say which which would I prefer. Like he, you can't have a preference. And I didn't answer him the way I would have wanted to say, answer him. But in a way, I would prefer if if I had a. I think the question was if I had a family member that was that got killed in, in a way, in one of these ways, would you want that person to be killed? Not that you want the person to be killed, but uh, but he kind of asked, asked it that way. Would it be from the cops or would it be from Taekwon down the block? And I had to think about it after the conversation. And as I think about it, you might as well be cop, killed by the cops because you can get legal recompense. You can sue the state. The Garner family got millions of dollars for that death. Not that, not that money is really a, a, a good equivalent to a life. But if Taekwon, your neighbor, who has nothing, kills you, you can't sue that man. Or you could try. Good luck with that. So if, there's, if there is a way to, act, to answer such a heinous question, you might as well say it might as well be the cost because you can sue. You can sue, and many of them have done that. They've had out-of-court out settlements. Where's your out-of-court out settlement from Lakeisha that, that stabs your daughter. When's that coming? When's that multi-million dollar check coming? It's not. Anyway, um, let me see if I can play this clip. I wanted to, I wanted to so, you know, I was kind of riffing about um, being stuck between between these two worlds. And uh, actually I was thinking about Claire Linnae. I wanted to run this by her because Claire... Um, again, to our listening audience, Claire Linnae is our left coast correspondent, um, an actress, of course, co-host, and a young woman of Asian descent, and she's certainly part of our crew under the People of Color umbrella, which is paramount nowadays because we do have to, we do kind of need to lean on each other, and we're friends. And uh, last week, uh, she was. Passionate as always, Asian representation and whitewashing and so forth. And I wanted to make her aware of of something. Um, there is a a letter, a real letter. It's it's actually been verified by historians, and it's been it was a letter that was goes back to the 1860s, and it's a letter that was um, transcribed or was it was dictated on behalf of an ex-slave by the name of Jordan Anderson. And um, it, was, it was put in, in several newspapers, and essentially just to kind of run down, I'm, again, I'm speaking extemporaneously, but essentially 
this 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 former slave um, was, you know, he had, he was able to receive his manumission papers. He, you know, he he was freed. 1863 or 1864, I think it's his specific date. And his, at some point, his former master sent him a letter. I mean, he was after after he was freed, he went up. I think he was he, he went up north. This month. I think he was from Tennessee initially, but he, he ended up in Ohio, and and uh, some some Quakers helped him out, and and his family, and he was able to thrive. And um, you know, he he didn't become some some um well educated Frederick Douglass type, but he did survive and thrive and live to a uh, live to an a, a older age and, and, and everything like that. But his former master, also named Anderson of course, wrote a letter to him, a plea for him to come back to the plantation because the plantation wasn't doing well. It was uh, in dire straits. He's, the, the the master was going to lose the lose the farm, and lose the plantation, and he made a plea saying that you know I, you'll be paid wages, you'll be treated better, um, and uh, you know the the belief was that because of this of Mr. Anderson, Jordan Anderson's prominence even as a slave with other slaves that if he came back other slaves would probably follow so anyway now what does this do what does this have to do with Claire Linnea? i'm going to explain that after i play this clip this is a clip of the recitation of the jordan anderson letter to his former master i'm going to play it and I'm, then I'm going to unpack. Hold on. It's about it's about four and a half minutes. Bear with me. It's pretty compelling. Hold on. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Ah, give me a break. I guess my boards are not are not working. Let me try this again, folks. Again, live radio, these things happen. I don't know why the boards are, are, are sticky. I really wanted wanted our audience to hear this letter. Um, I, I'll do my best to paraphrase it if I can't play the audio. And it looks like I'm not able to play the audio. Um, all right, I'm, I'm still working on this thing. But the, bo- the bottom line is Mr. Anderson's letter was rife, rife with uh, humor and basically it was a it was a metaphysical middle finger to his former master. He said to him that you know i'm 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 glad to hear that you're okay. I thought that the uh the Yankees would have strung you up by now <laughs> something to that effect 
Um, I don't even hold any ill will that you tried to shoot me when I left the plantation legally. Um, he made reference to wages owed. He, he worked for this. He worked for this man um, from you know since he was a kid. So he was there. For, he had Mr. Anderson and his wife. I think t- between twenty and thirty years, he worked for this man, and he calculated the wages owed and the interest, and it was thousands of dollars. He said, "Well, I'll come back, maybe I'll consider it if pay me what I'm owed." Uh, I, he said, "I have I have beautiful daughters, good-looking daughters. Uh, I hope that the other family members don't try to." Accost them. He made some, you know, vague references to they're good-looking girls. We know that you, you bastards, have probably tried to rape them. Um, obviously, he didn't go back. And you, what, what you hear is he, the, the the former the former owner, sold had to sell the farm or the plantation. Uh, I think within two years, and he died at the age of 44. Jordan Anderson died at around 81. So he's able to live twice the age of his former owner. And the reason why I bring Claire into this, because she she was lamenting, and rightfully so, about the circumstances, about uh, mainstream America, about who you're dealing with, about racism. How she comes into play, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I gotta have to have this conversation with her. Is a historian revisited the the this story, and he this this historian whose name evades me visited the White Anderson family. You know the the the. The family of the Andersons are still, you know, the the, the remaining relatives. Um, and would you believe? I think this was, might have been two thousand five, two thousand six. So we're talking about a hundred years later, that that family still bears ill will toward Jordan Anderson for ditching, quote unquote, ditching the family. Uh, and all I could say was, these are the people you. Are dealing with. This is why you you will not see your ancient one. You will not see not the way you want it. You will not see um, Ghost in the Shell and all this all this whitewashing that's going on is an extension of that behavior that even when, when revisited a hundred years after a righteous moment on the behalf of a former. Slave, the family in the 21st century still feels that they were right, and that he was wrong for not returning back to that back to to his his master. That's the mentality. That's why. That's why I, I have a certain. There's a finality to things. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of beyond where other, other other black folks are when it comes down to expecting. Expecting humanity. It's not going to happen. You gotta figure this out. A hundred years after that man was freed, 
the, the family is still smarting over it. What are your thoughts about that, Q? I think it just goes to show you that privilege has gone back a long time in American history. That's an amazing story. Uh, and, it, again, it just goes to show you that, I don't know, that, like you said, it's a mentality that I can't put my finger on, but you are seeing – let me ask you a question. The people, the family members who were still bitter, were they elderly? Would they be closer to that time frame, or was, were these younger generations who had heard this story? I, I don't know the specifics as to the age of the folks that this historian spoke to, but you better believe, I mean, you're talking about many, many generations after this. I mean, you're, t- you're talking about literally this was in the 1860s that that initial letter from the from the uh, owner went out to Jordan Anderson, and Jordan Anderson died in the early 1900s. And, and that's another thing that made me, made me think that, you know, a lot of time has passed, and then on some level a lot of time has not passed. The fact that you had a person that was able to, because I believe Mr. Anderson was born in the 1820s or 1830s, um, that from from 1820s to his death at or about the turn of the 20th century, around early 1900s, that to me is still very tangible. That when they say, well, slavery was such a long time ago, uh, I would debate that if you if you if you have a slave that had a, a letter that was that was written in um, that was printed in newspapers and still we're still talking about about it um, and he died in 1900 something um, I beg to differ you know our our parents our parents parents would probably be, be would probably be uh, in that age range, or our parents' grandparents. So it's not like it's not that far. You, you know what, Debert? What's funny? I'm laughing inside because on your last show, you did a little bit about how I think you were talking about some TV show about time travel, and you did a bit yeah. about how a black person probably wouldn't want to be a part of that crew that goes back into the past because. There's really no time in the past that a black person won't want to go go back to, and now you you just told me the story that <laughs> kind of brings that to real life where you go back to now it's 2005 maybe 10 years ago but 10 years ago is a drop in the bucket cosmically in terms of time you go back 10 years and you, you're finding that people are still having these same issues these the same mentality so I, in the next 50 years I can see people saying no black folks saying no we I'm not going to get in that time machine to go back to 2016. Are you crazy? It's, it's just hilarious to me. Well, someone can make the argument, and that's something I always thought about, um, even when I saw Back to the Future. Uh, you know, it's, it's always a fantasy, you know, but you have to see it through the eyes of Michael J. Fox. You can't see it through your own eyes. I mean, I remember uh, what Dwayne Jesse, I think, played. Uh, I think it was Dwayne Jesse. Was it Dwayne Jesse? I don't know why he comes up. He played uh, Chuck Berry in that that um, legendary scene. Oh no, he played he yeah, comes, he played Chuck Berry's cousin. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. You're right. Thank you for the correction. You're right. And he tells him over the phone, "Check this out," and that's kind of a hint that 
it was this time traveler that gave them rock and roll, um, which actually kind of, now that I think about it, when I get super analytical, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're taking the black folks discover that. You know, see how that works? You know, now you're kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> white people really discovered I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being half facetious, but even in fiction, if you're not paying close attention to it, they took away the black man's invention. Uh, you know, I'm just saying. We're, we're in these times now where I'm analyzing everything. Well, I'm back there listening. Back, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the future, too. Sure. I was going to say, he became, that, that character became mayor of the town in Black, Back to the Future 2. So they, they threw him a bone, at least. Yeah. It's not, not the same as inventing a whole genre, but let's go to this uh, DMV. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's go to this DMV, DMV area code. Uh, is this, is, you know, it's, it's either it's, it's Black Ronin or it's the Mighty Bison. Which one is it? How are you, sir? This is Bison for Life. What's up, man? Nice hey. to hear from you. Great. Same here. Before I get into my um, rebuttal, prepare for a butt whooping this Saturday at the Nation's Classic as Howard takes on your Hampton Pirates. Oh, here we so, go. I forgot it is around September. I forgot about that. Is that still at Giant Stadium? Is, it's always a, is that, is that no, a, was no, Giant Stadium no, still even no. around? Um, yes, it's called MetLife Stadium. No, it's here in D.C. at RFK Stadium. All right. I plan to go to that event. I plan to go to that event. But um, I want to get – you brought up some good points, and um, I want to – and something you touched on, I want to bring it to you and your audience. My grandfather sure. died in the early 1990s. He was the youngest of 15 children. His father was a slave. And I talked, I interviewed him extensively um, prior to his passing on. So it it is not that long ago. And I also um, would like to inform you and your um, listeners to search out a a book and a video called Slavery by Any Other Name or Slavery by Another Name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which basically chronicles, which is, yeah, which basically chronicles slavery up until, realistically, the 1940s, in all but name only. So the institution of slavery may have been changed by doctrine or by the Emancipation Proclamation, but the practice was still ongoing well into the 20th century. And I think, and this may be, I may get some pushback, but I'd rather just say it now. I think a lot of it determines where you were born or where you were raised or where your parents were raised. Um, I just think when you, you know, if you have some Southern, and most African-Americans do have um, Southern background, either recently or generations removed, where the vestiges of that are in your face. I'm here in Virginia. I see Confederate everything even though that's changing somewhat. Um, you know, a lot of um, plantations, I'm not too far from where Nat Turner had his rebellion. But I think I'm one not to ignore the past um, and how we go forward in the future. I think especially this younger generation, they're just so 
want to shut down in the past. All the, you know, they didn't have the proper tools, but you know, they didn't have the sophistication or the technology we have now. But they had something more. It was called backbone. It was called integrity. It was called work ethic and whatever adjectives you want to use. I just think now with this ADD culture, we think we can microwave a problem away that's been generations or centuries uh, in motion, and we think a a hashtag or a tweet or a cute T-shirt or a meme or a clapback or whatever is going to turn these racists and these racist institutions around. I mean, you see what what happened with Georgetown University, um, and that's not the only. A lot of these Catholic East Coast universities were financed in their um, creation or shortly thereafter through the sale of slaves. Now they're doing their form of um, reparations. <laughs> you still, you know, but that still doesn't account for you know tuition. You just get sort of like almost like a legacy in um, the application process. And I just feel a lot of this is due because history is not taught properly in a lot of American classrooms. Now, I had parents who were from a certain generation that they just said, you need to read this. And a a part of my um, education was segregated. I came from black schools with black teachers and black principals. Um, A lot of people don't come from that. And I went to an African-American, I went to HBCU. Now, that's probably not the answer for everyone. But I'm just, you know, I'm just tired of us reinventing the wheel, and we're still we're running in place, and we're being passed by everyone in every group in a shorter amount of time, and then we 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 have our thumb in our mouth wondering what's the problem, and we think being snarky and cute online is the answer to everything, and I just I just nod my head at that, and I'll just stop here and listen. I know I sort of. Drifted off tangent. Well, you know, listen, you, you know, you're not going to get any, any pushback from me on, on anything you just said, um, Bison. Um, you know, listen, I, I too went to an HBCU, and I'm very proud that I did. I did that as, as a really a, a hardcore choice. I went to uh, initially. I, I went. I had an experience like you did. I went to black schools initially, and then I transferred to parochial education, and then I, I had my fill. Of of being in a um, in a in an environment like that with mostly white students, and then I consciously said, "I'm going to go to a black school." When I had an option, and I said, "No, I want the black experience." And then when the graduate graduate school came around, I went to St. John, so I was able to go back and forth, back and forth. Um, and now I'm hearing how, however, we're to accept this. There has been a rash, a really brusque uptick of matriculation for black college, HBCU. There's been an uptick of enrollment by black students into the HBCU program. So I think some of this is going on because of the circumstances. Now we're kind of more, we're more in this racialized environment. So I, I, I hate to say it. But I've I've inferred this before that as much as I would detest a President Trump situation, you may need that to embolden black folks to make it clear because you would have thought 
that the advent of a President Barack Obama would have done that on some level. Maybe it did, but this seems to be more visceral. That it seems like we're only motivated when white folks are, are, are getting at your behind. And this is pretty evident now. And we, we're, we're not going to – this is not going to change unless we do what we need to do internally. There's got to be – it has to be done anyway. That's the, that's the irony, is that ultimately this is going to have to be done by black people. And it's always been that way. But looking for white people to be your savior or to look at the humanity in you, they've never done it. I'm not saying all, I'm not saying all whites because you have had white folks that have made that sacrifice. Uh, uh, we know that uh, John Brown was a famed abolitionist that was hanged. Um, uh, the, I forgot the young the, the lady's name that died in the '60s from Detroit. The Detroit mother. Uh, Uzo, uh, Lauzo, Lauzo. I think her last name was. Uh, she was killed driving. She she left as a as a suburban white mother from from Detroit to join the join the civil rights movement down south, and she was seen driving a young black man who was you know like a teenager. And um, she was killed, uh, you know, in the car, like just by by police or Klan, I believe the Klan. Um, I mean, there's been countless deaths. So we have, we have, you have white folks that have made that sacrifice, but for the but unfortunately, you have a, a great underpinning of racists that have really never left, or their children have carried on the family business. And black folks got to stop acting surprised. That shock and awe thing, I'm way beyond shock and awe. But hey, I hey, think hey, at this point... Let's, not make, let's, you know, you have states that are rewriting history books that are almost making slavery out to be um, like um, having a flat tire. And I interpret that as we, a lot of us, are not teaching our children, either by birth or by whatever means, their history. And this is not new. I mean, um, I, I kind of blame the generation, the boomer generation, sort of wanted to ignore um, a lot of the injustices and were quick to move to the suburbs and to move into white spaces and what other means was for their survival. So that um, those stories weren't passed down. And when we tell, try to tell them or you pass it down, a lot of people will dismiss it. I don't want to hear that old time talk. I don't want to hear about that slavery talk. I don't want to hear about that civil rights talk. I want to hear about the here and now. And what happens is you have a generation who don't have coping skills. We invent cute new words, you know, microaggression, safe spaces. Um, well, one of the things, yeah, well, well, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good one. But one of the things I just find, you know, I get on my younger nephews and, and things. I said in my day when I was younger, we couldn't t- we didn't tolerate nobody saying the n word. If you were bold enough to say the n word, you were bold enough to get this ass with them. And now everybody's saying. In every social setting, I mean, I don't really ride transportation, but I hear in a lot of places, you know, Latinos and Asians, everybody say the N-word. They, you know, and I try to 
asking about, oh, you know, it doesn't really mean that. It's a noun. It's not him. And when you, and when you, and no other race does that. If I if I try to use the, the K word or any disparaging um, um, comment about other races were used by black, they will shut them so down so fast it won't be funny. And that just lets you know that they don't respect you. They may take you as an individual, but they don't take you, take you as a group. And that's that's to me just what has happened. And we, and we can go into crime and some other. We you know and you've done that. You know I, I I really caution. I ask people to go through the archives. One time I went from your first podcast and just came forward. And a lot of what you're saying, you know, some of it's been repetitive, but the behavior hasn't changed. Because we still, as a people, waiting for a Messiah figure, either as a, a king or an Obama. And nobody's going to come and wave a magic wand and black people's um, troubles are going to go away. And, you know, we're going to have this. If, if your podcast is around 10 years ago from now, you're going to be saying the same thing. You know, I've been saying this for 10 years on my podcast and nothing's changed. I think now we got to get to the, we have to move to a space where we have to kind of point people and listeners to programs and situations that are moving in a direction that we need to go to. And that means going to an all-black charter school for black males, so be it. It means instead of going to University of North Carolina, it means going to A&T, instead of going to UVA, going to Hampton, and so be it. Because there's a certain percentage in the majority culture that is out for your destruction. And if, you, and if you're too blind to see that, maybe you need to walk into that buzzsaw. But, you know, I want to save um, our young black people from making the mistakes we made. And I'll stop there. I just wanted to well, get that out. Well, listen, what you said is always, man, you know, it's, it's, it's on point. It's on target. And uh, just for our listening audience, the, the woman I was referencing was Viola Liuzzo. <clears throat> who was the you know? And I, I have to be fair that I don't want to come across as like well white people this white people that because I I'm fully aware uh, we've we've also had as a guest uh, Jane Elliott who has been very I mean she she really break it down as to this 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 racism thing she's done this exercise uh, she says famously it's not an experiment it's an exercise. The blue eye, brown eye experiment, and you can go to the to the um, the archives. Uh, Ms. Elliott has done this as a, as an educator. She's been doing this since the late '60s, and there's a video of it. And the video is pretty profound, and she she revisits and pretty much tours this exercise uh, with whites, uh, you know, getting them to understand that uh, this is some kind of psychological issue, but it affects people of color negatively obviously but um, for the few you know Tim Wise what have you there's a few folks that get it that are white um, that's fine but for the institutions and the, the masses of people that appear to be on this Trump train this has been around for a long time and they feel very comfortable and if this alt-right movement it may actually be worse if Trump becomes if doesn't become president, because if he doesn't, then he's going to move in this direction of propaganda, which is going to go uh, beyond where Fox is going. 
this alt-right movement appears to be frightening to Fox. You have Glenn Beck coming out now, of all people. All of a sudden, he's found religion, talking all this stuff. So uh, I just ask for black people that, like you said, like you said, Bison, um, it, it, it appears pretty evident if, if, the, if the slavery and the segregation and the, and the, the post-bellum period you talked about in Slavery by Another Name, uh, definitely a great documentary, and I believe it's, it's a book also attached to that. Um, I would implore the listenership to check it out. Uh, the pig laws, the sundown laws, grandfather clauses, um, I mean, what 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 clue do you need to say that these people don't like you? I mean, it's time to get to recirculate the dollar, but we're not going to do it with with the, the minstrels, the, the little Waynes being being brought on Skip Bayless's show, not knowing what racism is. Uh, I heard um, Joe Madison today, and I wanted to call in, but I, I have a diff- I have difficulty. Speaking to Joe Madison because he has a type of shtick where he cuts people off. I mean, that's the way he operates his show. Um, his way of the highway. I'm the bus driver, and you know, the bus driver isn't necessarily the teacher. Bus drivers have been known to be crazy. I'm just saying. But uh, he um, he was talking about Little Wayne, and you know, he failed to mention because I mean, he's an older man, and I usually don't pull out that card because I don't believe in ageism. But no one in his camp, and not even about age, it's cluelessness. No one in his camp mentioned that, hey, Lil Wayne is the dude that wrote a song that likened, likened having sex with a woman and, and making it so uh, eventful it would be akin to the disfiguring that went on with Emmett Till. He made a sexual reference and used the tragedy of Emmett Till as the backdrop, backdrop in the rhyme, very vulgar rhyme. That guy's not going to know what racism is. And you also start to realize that the minstrel really, really, really works in tandem with the racist. So he works, he's the, he's the, he is the racist apprentice. Little Wayne is the racist apprentice. He works in David Duke's office. When, when you can, he and the secretary is big butt Nicki Minaj. That's how deep it really gets. She's the secretary, he's the assistant, he's the apprentice, even though they're black. I've said this many times. This woman ha- had the, the, the unmitigated gall to use Doc, um, Malcolm, X's, Malcolm X's image, the famous image, with the, by any means necessary when he's when he's looking out the window. Uh she she used that and said, look at it, quote unquote, look at ass niggas. With Malcolm X's picture. I mean they, these people they, they work with the clan. They work with the clan. So it was very um very difficult to listen to to listen to um, Joe Madison, uh, again, veteran radio broadcaster, Sirius XM, for, for, for him to somewhat struggle and try to explain, the, explain, or explain this, this, this person. There's no, there's no need to explain a minstrel. They failed to leave out those, those little K 
caveats about about what he really is about. So it is what it is. Let me see if I can. Maybe it's still not working. I don't believe this. Yeah, I was going to play the Little Wayne racism clip. Well, you don't need to really hear from Little Wayne anyway. I mean, we know what he's about anyway. Even I'm, I'm starting to do my, I'm starting to do my own Joe Madison uh, deal. Folks, this is the Midweek in Review edition of Afternerd featuring uh, Q Storm this time. The call-in number six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Again, six four six nine one five nine six twenty. We've got about twenty five minutes remaining, and I'm just going straight through, powering through, uh, without clips, which is um, aggravating. You know, uh, let's let's move things along. I'm I'm, I'm all over the place with a, a few topics that I, I wanted to delve into. Uh, Q, are you still able to sit in? I'm here. Okay, good. Um, I want to talk about uh, well, you know, again, some of this is riffing. Some of it is just what I'm what I have on have to talk about. Uh, I, I still take issue with some stuff that went down with Lena Dunham. Now, uh, again, much ado about nothing. She's a lame. Shout out to Corey Holcomb. This is one of his words. She's a lame. Um, Actress from from Girls, for those who are unaware, it's kind of come and gone already. But I'm just thinking. Sometimes you have to look at this stuff and you, and you see it from a from a yet another perspective. Um, listening to other shows, listening to other YouTube channels, and some folks are weighing in. Um, we talked about this before, where she, in her head, felt that she was she was due some degree of acknowledgement, maybe even even sexual acknowledgement from, from Odell, Odell Beckham. And, and I was thinking, you know, the, the, she was rightfully thrashed on Twitter. Uh, she and her friend, um, Amy Schumer, and they, you would classify them as, I guess, as comedic actresses or humorous, and they, they like to toil with this notion of, of, of feminism, and I've got to put this as white feminism, uh, this, this notion of feminism and the ownership of black and brown male bodies. They like to sexualize men of color in their acts. And it's done to be edgy, but it's quite disrespectful. And, if and when, as they talk about uh, the, the objectification of white beauty or women, but it's white women, but let's say women, when they're doing that, they're actually objectifying men of color. That's not even my point. But what I started to think about was when when she critiqued Odell for something that was in her head. Again, she was sitting next to Odell Beckham, the um, the wide receiver um, for the New York Giants, uh, at this Met Gala. She was attracted to him, but she thought in her head all these things that were really centered around her, her, her belief that she's unattractive. I'm not going to go any, anywhere beyond that. Just leave it, she, that's what she thinks. Um, and she thought he thought it too, which is just insanity. But I'm thinking... I, t- I tied this to this viral clip from last year of um, 
this young woman, uh, a white ethnic woman, who could easily pass, if you use the term, for someone of color or a or a Latina woman. She was she was strolling down the hood, quote unquote hood, and this video went viral with all the cat calls that she received by mostly minority men. The, the critique of the video was that well, all these men were disrespectful and leering at her and, and said some words to her, and uh, they perceived her to be attractive and this, that, and the other. Now, a lot of this was edited a certain way. Um, we didn't see a real ethnic and racial mixture. It was mostly Latin men and black men in the hood. And what they actually said to this woman really wasn't that vulgar. Wasn't vulgar at all. It might have been one or two that acted a little, little creepy, but for the most part, they just kind of just hollered at her. It wasn't like anything, you know. I've seen a lot worse. They said, "How you doing, beautiful? How's your day? God bless you. You're beautiful." That kind of thing. It's very light, very light. And I said, to, I said that you know, um, you can't win because. Uh, if these men, these men could be could phenotypically be Odell Beckham. There are there are Odell Beckhams in that in that crowd, but they don't have Odell Beckham money and access. So what's the difference? If 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 this woman Lena Dunham or the woman in this video were walking around and they were walking in the midst of moneyed Odell Beckhams, then is it still disrespectful? The way that Lena Dunham uh, spoke about this minority man, man of color, Odell Beckham, was was of objectification. He's supposed to want to, quote-unquote, in a vulgar vulgar way, she said this, F F him, or F me, that's what she said about herself. Uh, He didn't do it. It was a problem. And if he did do it, it would be a problem. But, again, these minority men that were phenotypically, let's say they were a bunch of Odell Beckhams on the street, but they didn't have Odell Beckham's bank account. All of a sudden, it's accosting. But when Odell Beckham is, is, has the bank account and doesn't say anything to you, it's accosting. I just, I just, these are things that, 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 that are in my head that make me think, you can't win. There's no way to deal with it's, it's an absurd argument. But it makes what happened last year with that viral video moot. And I always had a problem with that video. Because if she, if she were walking down Wall Street with white males who were six- and seven-figure men, would she feel that she was being pestered? We've seen women operate and walk and and be very receptive to that kind of energy when the money is right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's just what I'm just. Uh, that's something that I'm thinking of off the dome that just makes me go crazy. All right. Let me move forward beyond that. I just, I just wanted to revisit that for a moment. Um, Hillary Clinton. Let's get into this. A little bit. We got about 17 minutes remaining. 
let's get into this deal with Hillary Clinton's um I think even Q you sent an email to me and you were talking about um what was the issue I don't want to put words in your mouth but you you mentioned something about you you didn't think there was it was a big deal that Hillary Clinton uh that she failed to mention this pneumonia deal if, what were you saying in the email well I think this was before it was revealed that she had pneumonia at that time, we only knew that she had stumbled, and I was thinking, well, why is that a big deal? Maybe she's just tired. And, you know, even though we now know that she has pneumonia, people are going out on the witch hunt again saying, well, she should have revealed that. She should have let us know. And I'm like, to what degree do these candidates have to let us know their personal medical history unless it's life-threatening? So that's kind of where I, I still think it's ridiculous that she's under fire for this particular perceived um, malfeasance. Well, I guess my only issue with, with Hillary Clinton is her style and her cadence isn't really playing well with the energy that's coming out with this, this electorate, with, with, this, um, th- with this current political landscape. Donald Trump has really changed the game in a lot of different ways, and uh, maybe maybe I can you can even go back as far as Barack Obama with there even being a man of color being put in the White House. Now, some, not myself, but some may think, oh, that just gives that that means anybody can literally become president. And unfortunately, when sometimes when 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 black folks are attached to something, there's a belief that the bar has been lowered. Uh, maybe you can even go back to. Uh, to, to Clinton, you know, maybe you can go even beyond beyond uh, President Obama and think about Clinton, about all the, 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 the salacious scandal that was disclosed, uh, cigars and all that. I'm not going to go any, any more vulgar than that. But the cigar business with, with um, Monica Lewinsky, I mean, that kind of took it to the next level. So there's been a, a downgrade with the presidency in some respects. And now we've we've gotten to this point with a Donald Trump that appears to be able to say anything and escape scrutiny. So now we, we, we I guess my issue with 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 Secretary Clinton is she still gives off this air of being uber careful with everything that comes out of her mouth. And people are turned off by that. And uh, the fact that this, her, the state of her health has been put out there for folly for the last year, really, or a couple of years since she, she fell or stumbled, now that, the, now that we're looking at the White House, wow. it's, op- it's, it's open season. And, and I think this, there should have been some degree of awareness that people are looking at you to be more forthcoming. It's very hard to really keep things secretive now. That's another thing too, with with being able to read to read the room. If you read the room, uh, you know, Secretary Powell, Colin Powell's emails were hacked, and we, we you know you can't hide anything now. Well, I, I wish she, 
I wish she would have had that thinking when she made that comment about the basket of deplorables. That That's when she really should have been thinking about hiding some stuff, hiding those feelings. She's usually pretty, as you say, well-reserved, but uh, that statement's probably going to hurt her. You know what? I don't I, Listen, again, this is just me. I I I'm, I think it I think I think of that statement differently. Um, Donald Trump should not be allowed to say anything. Donald Trump is, is, has been able to make contradictory statements in the same paragraph. We're not even talking about a matter of time. Like he says something one day, and then he does that too. But he says something one day, and then literally it, it's it's different. The next day, it, it could happen in a sentence. I mean, this man, and this is where President Obama is, is dead on target. With he he is, does not show any um, intellectual curiosity, any de- deportment to become to be president. I mean, he would clearly be a dangerous a dangerous agent if if he were to be president. I mean. If I were, if I were Hillary Clinton, again again reading the room now, if you're reading the room correctly, she should say, listen, it's unfortunate that that that, that some folks took this the wrong way, and I don't want people to 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 feel that uh, all these folks are deplorable. But it, you know, these folks should be concerned that they are. Uh, in league with this gentleman. I mean, there's a way I, I'm not being as, as, as um, I guess, as, as accurate as I should be with, with, with how to rebut. But essentially what I'm saying is he has a litany of statements that are just politically incorrect. She makes one compared to his 20, and now we're going to superanalyze that? I mean, there's an easy way for, for you know, but she, she's a victim of her own of her own style. Her style is, is her style is careful in in an arena that's not really looking for that anymore. I mean, there's a way she could have could have kind of given the fu in a polite way to to say you can't get on me when this man has 20 statements that are clearly racist. Clearly xenophobic, clearly ignorant, and a, a woman who who had a uh, an oxygen tank was cl- cold clocked at one of these these Trump rallies, and she can't use the term deplorables. But D, D you I know we have limited time, but you you already have put the nail in, in the coffin of why why does Trump get away with this? Because he changed the game. Pundits are saying that they think his strategy is to constantly flip-flop so you cannot pin him down on any particular platform. So if you go after him for saying you want to build a wall, well, he can say, well, I kind of tempered that statement. I came back on that statement, and I visited – I stood brilliantly next to the Mexican president, and I said Mexican people are wonderful, this and – you know. That's part of. They're saying that's part of his strategy. The flip flopping. You cannot pin him down. So that's why. And let's not discount the fact that she is a woman. He is a rich man. Well, she's rich too, but he is known for his wealth. So we cannot discount the fact that he's changed the game, as you said. 
He's a flip-flopper. You can't pin him down. And, and she is a woman trying to break the glass ceiling. So that's why it works. That's why he can get away with it and she can't. Yeah, but, you know, I guess, I guess what's, what is that issue? Maybe this, this is going back on what I said earlier. Um, we got about t- nine minutes remaining. Is um, at some point someone needs to, needs to say what is clearly evident. Even when you mentioned the, 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 his visit to Mexico, he says one thing about what transpired in Mexico, and does a, and does a complete reversal, I believe, when he did the speech in Arizona, like twenty four hours later. Exactly. Yes, that's the whole where, point. Where even the president said, where even the president of Mexico said, "Wait a minute, that's not what happened." I mean, you can't you can't have a president. I mean, think about something else. This this allegedly. I mean, and, and, and again, I don't know why the media have have not focused on this. I mean, this is a complete unconscionable thing. Um, but I believe there's video evidence of this or audio of this that when the towers fell on the day, nine eleven. 2001, that Clinton, I mean Clinton, pardon me, that Trump had said that, oh, well, my, my building is the, is the tallest now. What? 3,000 people are under rubble, and your contribution to the conversation is my buildings, are, I have the tallest buildings now? Wow. Now, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, so, uh, again, I have a. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to take a word from uh, the great Dr. John McWhorter, and I would implore our listenership to go to bloggingheads.tv. He has a new, a new uh, video slash audio uh, of their podcast. Glenn Lowry and John, Doctor Doctors Glenn Lowry and Doctor John McWhorter. And there's a word that I've co-opted from him, just like I co-opted a word from David Carroll. Uh, deconstruction, or to deconstruct, the word I co-opted from McWhorter is equipoise. And the, 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 have, I, I learned to have a certain level of equipoise with Donald Trump because it is evident that these, these, there's a lot of racists that want to see this guy as president. And for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For there to be a President Barack Obama, for all intents and purposes, Jackie Robinson, uh, real, you know, realized in the White House, or, or you can use uh, Sidney Poitier, those class acts. We're going to go from this to, to to that. I mean, you know, it's pretty clear. This is what they, this is what they want. We have no control over that. I mean, uh, logic would dictate. Listen, Gary Johnson. The former governor of New Mexico, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, he is the libertarian um, presidential candidate. And again, the way the media are operating, he 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 had the the gall to not know what Aleppo was. That's bad, though, Deaver. Come on, that's bad. That was his it, Howard it, Dean yeehaw moment. But you know what? I, I can flip it, believe it or not. He admitted he didn't know. I, I, have to, I have to think, when you think about 
someone like Hillary Clinton, who in, rightfully or wrongfully, based on the uh, the disclosure of these hacked emails, which is a problem, also, like the, the there's no privacy at all anymore, none. You know, I, I wanted to talk about this Play Playboy uh, model that had a picture. I mean, this is kind of an incidental thing, but it, it shows you the times we are living in. Uh, this this heinous person. Playboy model in, in a gym who puts a picture of a naked woman taking a shower, an elderly woman, and clowns her on Snapchat. And she's getting sued for that. But the fact that you have someone that could clown an elderly person minding their own, their own business, that, that's almost like being shot in the gut. It's the same kind of mentality. It's, it, you know, it's not as bad, but it's pretty bad. But I mean, my, my, my overall thinking is that uh, my equipoise comes from these are what these people want, and, and black folks got to get ready. If they feel comfortable in having a man act this way, and 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 uh, even with, I got off, off tangent for a moment. Even with um, the disclosure of Secretary Powell's emails, he had said that Clinton was greedy and sloppy. And not really, not really, you know, she, the, neither one of these people are really trustworthy. And I appreciated, I really appreciated um, that rather matter-of-factly, he said, no, I don't know him that ball. And it's, it's, listen, he should know, but that goes back to the media. The media is, it will tell you about Syria. They're not going to talk about uh, these cities in Syria. It, it's one thing not to know about Nice or Paris. Or Belgium, but Aleppo. I mean, you know, should he have known it? Yes. But considering what's out here and what's worse, and the fact that the man was honest about it, people want honesty. They want honesty. And Clinton is not honest. She has to be. She has to be put into a corner because she's so into careful speak. That careful speak. That careful speak is is what's going to make her lose that that election. Um, Trump, we know he's a liar, but he comes off so alpha male and so like I don't give an f. John Wayne comes back. That is appealing in a sick way, and these racist people that never went away and there's a large underbelly of them. This is what they want, and black folks. Got to get ready, and and the, the Crips and the Bloods and the essays and all that kind of nonsense. They got to figure that out because because it's not going to get any better. It's got to stop. That that's my issue with with Clinton, and that's why I'm, listen. I've already said on it. I'm going to vote for um, Gary Johnson. I'm not going. I'm not into this this lesser of two evils business. It's always going to be that wow. way. That can't, you and I could that have had a whole show about that, man. We could have had a whole. He shouldn't have said that. We would have had a whole show about that, you and me. Well, <laughs> well, well listen, I, I, I'm, I'm putting it this way: Are we going to keep on with the lesser of two evils? Every time, every time there's a, an election, it's the lesser of two evils. That's why this is a. It's it's slowly coming to the point. People are tired of that, and it's it's the lesser of two evils that's the reason why Trump could become president for a number of reasons. Some people, you know, are racist, uh, and, and they clearly like that that backward messaging. 
And some people just want anarchy because they're tired of the lesser of two evils. I'm looking at it this way. I want there to be more people to vote for. The the the, the binary dynamic has got to go. And this might be the, the beginnings of that in order for it to, to, to kind of go away. we got about a minute, hey, uh, Q, and, and we got to go. What's real up? Real quick, you said a long time ago uh, people want to deal with what should be as opposed to what is. What is that we got these two candidates? If you vote for Gary Johnson, you might as well be voting for Trump because that, that is a, a vehicle for him to get into the White House. And I'd rather have someone potentially lying to me than someone who has his finger hovered over the um, nuclear codes because I, they talk bad about him. Listen, it's either going to be him or it's going to be uh, Kim in, 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 in uh, North Korea. Okay. <laughs> That's going down too. <laughs> Pick your point. And Trump, Trump is equipped to deal with that too, right? Okay. <laughs> well, what, what are we – listen, hey, what are we going to do? He can still be impeached, by the way, which is highly likely with someone who's that, that uh, out of pocket. I'm just saying that we're hearing more about the Green Party and the Libertarian Party than we have ever heard before. So the, the, it's, it, I'm starting to see a small, a, a small crawl toward a multi-party system. That's why I think I, – I, well, and I'm voting for Gary Johnson. I'm voting for him. I'm not voting for Trump. I know yes, we, he did. But the, the lesser I, two evils I – hear, I, I hear your logic. I'm just saying I, I just – I got to take a stand. I've never been a beta tester. I'm not a beta tester. You got to have all the bugs out before I go and buy your operating system, okay? So give it eight years, and if, it's, if the operating system is working and it's stable, I, I, I'm going to buy it. But I'm not a beta tester. On that note. Uh, let's see if this musical musical uh, number works. If not, I'm going to have to cut it. Uh, Q, as always, will be back on Saturday for the listening audience. We're in the podcast mode. Always a pleasure. Cap uh, will be returning this Saturday at 6 p.m. along with the rest of the gang, Claire Linane, of course, Daryl B. Let's try this again. Okay. Towards the tail end. Q, All right. Pleasure. Saturday, 6 p.m. All right. It. Take care. Blaring the mouth.